If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our Spring Fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. See you there. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Just because you're working out doesn't mean you shouldn't look fabulous. The Inspire Collection by Kalia was designed with both style and performance in mind. It looks good, feels good, and stays put no matter how you move. And the collection has everything you need for a day at the gym. A support bra, crop tanks, bike shorts, amazing leggings, and more. It's their most versatile collection yet. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. At KPMG, our people make the difference. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights, innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes. KPMG, make the difference. Hello, and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Beautiful trees and the UK landscape have got to go together. From ancient specimens in native woodlands to prize examples in our parks and, of course, our gardens. Trees have always been adored and celebrated by UK gardens and nature lovers alike. But what if I told you that many of those trees were under threat, becoming ravaged by pests? diseases, possibly to the point of extinction. Yeah, you'd want to know why, wouldn't you? Well, today I'm going to talk to two fellas that, for me, are my go-tos when it comes to trees in our parks and our gardens, but also in our wider landscape. Morning, fellas. Can you both introduce yourself one at a time? Tell me a little bit about your background and and what you're doing today, you know, boom, Garant, go on, rock and roll, mate. So no, Garant Richards. So I'm I'm title is head forester for the Duchy of Cornwall. So the the Duchy of Cornwall is the the estate that private estate that provides the income for the the heir to the throne and the current Duke of Cornwall, longest serving Duke of Cornwall in the history of the Duchy, nearly 700 history of the year history of the Duchy is the current Prince of Wales. Um, so I manage the trees, woodlands, and forests across the Duchy, but also increasingly. On, on other estates and uh, and and involved with other organisations and initiatives connected with the Prince of Wales and and so although I trained as a forester my my world increasingly strays into arboriculture and horticulture and landscaping these days as, as I'm sure all our, our careers have changed um, so it, you know it's fascinating and uh, so that's that's the day job I'm on the road a lot I travel around a lot meet some amazing people but um, but it's a, it's a great world to be in great sector to be in mm. so so actually mate the the woodlands that you look after are ultimately spread all over the country aren't they they are i know they 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 run from sort of um the isles of silly so we got we still got elm alive on the isles of silly wonderfully no dutch elm disease and shelter belts of things like pinus radiata to protect all the bold crops they were planted to protect the bold crops on the isles of silly through through cornwall right up to you know right up to places like herefordshire where we have just the most beautiful ancient semi-natural woodlands with with oak and, and and hazel so a huge range of species woodland types um across across the duchy's land holding and then i go beyond and you know come up to scotland and over to your part of the world so so it, it is amazing to see the, the the breadth of what we can grow in the uk yeah but which means you're dealing with a diversity of very very different conditions but interestingly as well you know i mean you're working you know ultimately your boss is, is prince charles and we know that's he's a man that that cares about this subject but actually is incredibly knowledgeable as well it, phenomenally so and you know i have the it is the utter privilege of working for him worked for him for 26 years and seeing a lot of him in various places and he's incredibly knowledgeable he's been a visionary uh, as you know he's seen um problems like climate change and pests and diseases often ahead of other people and i think it's fair to say um mate that you know uh, i give a lot of credit to, to to the improvements that have been made to, to him and his interest in mm-hmm. In um in in in, in climate change and, and plant pests and diseases and the changes that have been made when you and I first met. Do you remember at Highgrove at that event and uh, and and that then led to doing the Gardener's World interview? But 
all of those things that came about because the Prince of Wales is so passionately concerned about plants and trees in 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 the whole of the landscape in gardens in in hedgerows in in woodlands you know he he he's incredibly knowledgeable and passionate about these things yeah and it's, it is interesting isn't it to sort of get to the point of i mean i think that was in his more or less in his sort of 70th year or the year before that and and i make not that he'll probably appreciate this but when i'm talking publicly about him i'll make comparisons with with my old boss jeff hamilton who 30 plus years ago was talking about pete free organic gardening stop ripping up limestone pavements and destroying your countryside and and at the time you know when jeff first started on gardener's world there was a lot of people out there that thought he was had sort of quite a hippie approach to you know to gardening and if you think about it you know that's exactly what prince charles was talking about at the same time wasn't he absolutely and i think you know a, a lot of people have just been playing catch up with him now and things that we're talking about in everyday language now the things we need to do you know he has been not just speaking about, but you know, putting into practice, and 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 you've been you've been Adam, you've been to Highgrove and seen the miles of hedgerows he's planted over forty years there, the the hundred thousands of trees on the landscape there. I mean, he's changed that landscape. I mean, he had a determination when he arrived there to turn what was a relatively barren landscape into something amazing, from the garden to the farm, and and he and he's done that, and he's doing it everywhere else. So it is also it's not just ideas. He he does put those ideas into into practice and transform transform landscapes you know so today i think it would be lovely if we capture with you that understanding of our wider environment and then actually passing over to i've heard this man described by prince giles as saint tony i think he was overplaying <laughs> it a little bit but um do you remember that time i'm sat there thinking is he talking about the same fellow i do yeah yeah <laughs> i've also been known as the indiana jones of trees indiana jones of trees yeah yeah, I mean, for to all, be the, fair, all the plant collecting that I've done and yeah. travelling. Mm. Yeah, go on, tell people. To, I mean, a lot of people, if they can't yeah. see your face, but I think a lot of people, if they've watched various programmes um, on trees on on the sort of, you know, on the telly over the last X amount of years, you have popped up an awful lot of times, haven't you? But tell people I have, and about I've, you. You know, I, that's been a fantastic part of my career, Adam. I, I worked for uh, 43 years at the Royal Botanic Gardens Q, which is an, an incredible uh, garden organization uh, and the last 20 years I was head of the Arboretum so responsible for the uh, amazing tree collections there 14,000 trees two and a half thousand different species uh, so I was a sort of uh, curator uh, a manager of um, of those collections and you know people say well why why are these collections important um, they're you know, they're there in a garden for us to see but at, at this time now, we're looking for new species, potential species to uh, replace trees and tree species that we're losing to the threats of pests and diseases. And we're now looking to these collections, these arboreta around the British Isles, uh, for ideas to and, and to look at trees that are growing well in those gardens that potentially can grow well in our landscape, whether it's urban or uh, or rural. And uh, do you know what? The first thing, take both of you right back to when when was it that that trees got under your skin? Basically, I was um, I was ten years old, Adam, and I uh, I had a really good teacher at primary school, Miss Beasley. And she brought a big bunch of horse chestnut twigs into the classroom. And the she said that, you know, the buds are getting sticky. That's a, start, a sign of spring and they're going to break. And if you look under the terminal buds, there are these leaf scars uh, and that are the shape of a horseshoe. And if you look around the leaf scars, there's seven vascular bundles. That's the number of nails in a horseshoe. So hence why they call it the horse chestnut. I believed her for many, many years. And it's only recently that I realised that she was she wasn't right, um, and it's actually called the horse chestnut because um, the uh, in in Macedonia where it comes from naturally they they crush the conkers to make a, a a paste and feed it to horses to cure colic, but you know Adam that might be wrong as well, and it doesn't really matter because just that one story from my teacher caught my imagination and uh and and so i'm i love i love to share stories like that and hope that you know when i'm talking to children in schools etc that they um you know one of those might come into our industry and uh and and forge uh, 
you know, a, a good career in uh, in horticulture or arboriculture or forestry. Garrett, what about you, fella? What you know? When was it? When did you know the trees sort of really, you know, come on your horizon? I, I although my my family's roots are Cornwall and Wales, hence the name. Um, grew up actually in the Chiltern Hills, and uh, I just remember as a young teenager just walking the dog every night through the the Chilterns Beechwoods, which were on our doorstep, and you know, just felt alive in that place, and I loved it. And I just had when all my all my mates were thinking, "What am I going to do for my career?" I just said, "I want to I want to work in forestry," and got advice and. Mm. Uh, when it came to filling in my university sort of application, or, you know, I say to my friends, "Well, I don't know what to do with my life," and I mind completed and sent off. And it's um, and I stay still, still say, you know, and I'm sure we all feel this. We we I know all three of us get involved in remarkable things these days, experiences that I'm sure if you'd have told us, you know, at that point in time that we'd be doing, we wouldn't believe it. Like sitting here recording a a podcast together, but it's still when I'm out in the garden at home or in the woods. That's where I, I'm. I'm happiest. It's just I love it. Whether do you want to hanky Garrett? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you do. Whether it's planting a tree or or, or 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 just wandering through the woods, checking on operations or something, it's still where we. It's still where we feel. That's where we're meant to be, isn't it? And yeah. uh, and what I love actually, we've done some training programs with young people, and and you know, so many young people today don't get that experience. They don't even know there's a career in the in in, mm. in our sectors, and uh, and when you get them out there and they suddenly realise that this is where they're meant to be and there is a job for them, it, it, it's the most fulfilling thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I, mm. yeah, you're both right. I mean, actually, to be fair, I, you know, he was taking a mickey out of your but I got goosebumps, mate, when you said it's where it's where we're meant to be because I think I, I don't know, I've had a difficult sort of last couple of years, but actually in the last sort of six months, rework things and reevaluated and actually reconnected myself again with, I suppose, in a sense where I started from and. I feel like a different human being and I think you know that's the one thing that all of us have got to connect ourselves back to that understanding of of the living world don't we and I, and I think on that side you know and that's that sort of national plant health week um we've all done you know some work with defra and like you said we've all been to conferences bits and pieces so it's a subject that I know well but I even when I'm explaining it to people you know the science is mind blowing, and and a lot of people. Well, why? And I know, you know, we've got what over two thousand pests and diseases on the death list, and and our world's changed massively. But but in the tree world at the moment, just well, either one of you or, or someone can pick more public trees, or someone can pick more sort of wider landscape trees, and just just give us an idea on on what the problems are out there. Yeah. Well, if just just one example. Adam is, uh, you know, that tree, the horse chestnut that caught my attention when I was 10, that then set me on my path on my career to work with trees is now under serious threat from, uh, the horse chestnut leaf miner. And it's probably one of the most iconic trees, uh, that everybody knows, you know, that it's one of the easiest trees to identify because of the, the big leaves, um, the, you know, the flowers, it's a very, very, popular parkland tree and um that's under threat from this horse chestnut leaf miner that is is a recent um new pest uh in the early 2000s and uh and i one of the one of the biggest calls i get today is you know all the leaves have gone brown on my horse chestnut tree what's the disease and you say well it's not a disease it's a it's a caterpillar that's boring between the leaf surfaces and the problem is that we're getting several generations of that now because of the, the warm climate, you know, it loves our climate and, uh, and it's eating the chlorophyll, the green um, the, in b- between the leaves that, that the tree uses to produce uh, food and energy. And, uh, and then eventually there's no green left. It, they're brown leaves. And over time, that's weakening these trees. It's putting them under serious pressure that then we get, uh, an, you know, a problem with other, other pests and diseases. And it's, we're starting to see that tree disappear from from our treescape in a very short period of time, you know, 20 years. So people aren't planting them now because they're frightened of losing them from horse chestnut leaf miner. I think if you went to a nursery, you'd find it very difficult to buy one. And uh, and that will be the, the demise of that tree, which will be absolutely tragic. Yeah. And what we can't afford to do is to let that happen to other 
tree species that we're all familiar yeah. with. And uh, which is it's mind blowing, isn't it? I mean, I'm talking about tree species that we're familiar with, Garen. So, like, you know, we've got the oak. I mean, I, you know, from what I this is off the top of my head, all right. So, we're talking what supports over 2,000 different species and is, is ultimately it's got its problems, isn't it? It has. And, and you said about that, I mean, Tony's picked horse chest. I mean, I was struggling to pick. I mean, briefly, in the Dutchie in the last 15 years, you know, we've been struggling with, as many other people, um, uh, the, the the issue of Phytophthora morum, taking out all the larch trees and then affecting sweet chestnut. The biggest issue at the moment is ash dieback, you know, massive issue I'm facing and so many other landowners around the country. Mm. But, you know, the oak, Tony and I both involved in something called Action Oak. Um, I chair it and Tony's on one of our committees and and, you know, our oak trees are, are not immune from threats. There's oak processory moth, which many people will, will have heard about. But, but there are many other problems. Acute oak decline. We're seeing a lot of, a lot of older oak trees um, declining very rapidly. And, and a lot of research going in at the moment to try and find out what the cause of that. But you're right, 2,300-odd species dependent upon oak. It's got to be our most important native tree. Mm. We can't take the health of any of these trees for no, granted. And I think, I think the oak is, is, for me, was, in a weird way, was the final straw does that make sense you know i'd sort of i run through um burley park which is my local sort of um you know large house and we can run through the park and obviously it's a it's a capability brown landscape could you imagine a brown landscape without oak trees but also our history of you know our, our country i think we take this stuff for granted don't we our country's built on the oak tree mm. you know it's it's bananas yeah. isn't it that no, look at look at all the the great buildings that uh, effectively have got oak in them. You know, in the the great halls of London, mm. the black and white houses of of of, of rural areas, but um and, and and so many yeah so many timber frame buildings, but but also you know so many of our ancient semi natural woodlands are oak um, dominated, but also the vast majority I'd say Tony, wouldn't you of, of our ancient trees are oak absolutely, and, yeah. and these yeah. uh, I mean I saw one in Herefordshire the other day, mate. You and I mean it was. Yeah. They were at a nine hundred years old, the, 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 and and just an incredible, mm. an incredible tree. And if 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 you lost oak, well, it's not really worth contemplating, is it? So. Well, I, th I think on on Garant, aren't there more ancient oaks in in England alone than the whole of Europe? That's what, yeah. Well, so, yeah. So they say. I mean, yeah. yeah so so we have this incredible, in, incredible wealth of ancient trees, and uh, and and you know, we, yeah, we but we can't take them for granted. You know, we've it, it, they've been around for nine hundred mm. plus years. You know, people might have heard of Zyella and and you know Italy and and the um, olives being you know being decimated really. But um, I mean, I think if I remember right, that came from originally South America somewhere. But but and and when I get involved in conversations, all right, I you know people say, oh yeah, but you know it it won't survive in in our environment. But then you made that note tone about the fact that actually part of the reason that that sycamore's got its problems is is because our changing environment. So the argument of Zyella won't survive over here falls on stony ground in a lot of ways, doesn't it? Because it, it it's evolving yeah. all the time anyway. You, you're absolutely right, Adam. We 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 can't just say, oh, it, it's uh, it's too cold here, or it's not the right climate, or they're not the right trees, because a lot of these pests and diseases narrow jumping species. So when they run out of one, they'll go on to another. So you know, oak processionary moth, if it runs out of oaks, it will jump onto hornbeams and other species. So it will never go hungry. Uh, and a lot of these um, diseases on conifers, for example. Uh, are jumping species now as well. And so we, we can't just take for granted that uh, oh, it won't happen to us. And never, I, I you know, I mean, I think every, there's a real awareness now of, of the, all these threats from pests and diseases on, and not just trees, but all plants. And I think now is the time that we must be so vigilant and so biosecure to prevent, you know, prevention's better than cure. So by preventing them coming into the UK is going to is is by far easier to control than uh, than trying to control it once once it comes into uh, into onto our island. So you know that that's a, an important thing that we should be doing. You know, raising awareness, being vigilant, reporting things. 
which ultimately, you know, people can do that, can't they? Walking through their local park, if they see something that's that's strange, unusual, odd with the trees, they report it, you know, to DEFRA. And and, and I think that's, I don't know, that this is the same with you guys, but I don't know about the, the, the Australia and the New Zealand thing. It seems that there's more or less of a, a society sort of, they have, it's just like they've got a nation of tree inspectors, not mm. just... Yeah. nutters like us that go around preaching well, no, about this stuff, you know? I, th- I think we said, you know, since those conferences we all put together several years ago, what we need is to – and it is happening. I'm, 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 we are far – we're in a far better place than we were 10, 15 years ago. So let's, you know, let's let's give credit to everyone who's been involved in, in, in moving mm. this forward because a lot has happened. But we need to develop that culture of biosecurity that you kind of sense when you're in – some of these other countries where people know that I would not try and take that into the country or out of the country because I know I won't get away with it. So, mm. so we got to we and, and and it's not people trying to get away with it. It's just people don't know. It's just people mm. don't know. So, mm. so we got to develop that that culture of biosecurity. And never more important than now. And I, I just, I mean, just if if I may, if I may, mate, you know, we've got massive tree planting aspirations in the country to deal with um, getting to net zero and carbon sequestration. Trees are the lungs of the planet. We've got big tree plant ambitions. But it's not just for sequestration. We're realising that trees are important for soil health, natural flood management, animal welfare, agroforestry, we were talking about earlier, biodiversity. But also, in the, the whole pandemic, it's really been heightened how important trees and green spaces are for mental health and well-being. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, you know two years ago, do you remember everyone having allowed one walk a day? And how many people valued just being able to go to their lo- local green space and, and see mm-hmm. a tree? And so... More and more, we're understanding all these benefits that I say trees, but plants, that green shape in, in mm-hmm. general um, provides to society. And uh, we've got to put a value on that. And it's a massive value. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right, Geraint. And, you know, there are all these things that, you know, trees reduce noise pollution, air pollution, they're air conditioners, they prevent erosion from heavy rainfall, this sequestering carbon, et cetera. But, you know, most of us plant a tree for its ornamental attributes. So if we're going to go to the garden centre or nursery this weekend to plant a tree, um, then we're looking for one that's going to have good flowers on, yeah. autumn colour, make us happy. bark effect and make us happy. Yeah? Yeah. And, and we enjoy going out and seeing it. I would love, you know, for people like us to be able to go back into parks now, regenerate parks and really connect communities. But... But it's interesting, I think, as well with with you two is is actually because uh, I've got you. Yeah, actually, what should we be planting? So you know, for for people at home, you're going to add a tree to your back garden. Well, I I very much when I'm talking about design, obviously I'm talking about everything from human contact. Um, actually, the ornamental properties are the last thing for me. So it tends to be shape, form, how it's going to affect the light, how long it will live what its maintenance properties are, you know, what the root requirements, the soil, and actually the ornamental bits, the last thing. But And and so, first of all, looking at, at gardens, small and large, Tony, what should they plant? And then we're going to go over to you, Garen. I'm going to yeah. give you a minute to think about this. Yeah. Then you can look on Google, mate. Um, just, yeah. <laughs> just what we should be planting. I don't know why you invited yeah. me on this room. Well, I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll start on, then, Adam. And I, I think that even when you're looking at the soil, you're looking at the shape and form, you know, um, there's still attributes of, of that tree. And I think subconscious, subconsciously you'll already be knowing in your mind what what you want from that tree, you know, whether it's autumn colour, flower, bark effect, multi-stem, you know, all all of that. I think um, the, there's a slogan out, uh, right tree, right place, and, and that is absolutely key. And there is so much information. You know, uh, Geraint is just looking on Google now. Um, <laughs> there is so much information on the web now about trees. I mean, when you think of our predecessors that planted places like Burley that you run through every day, Adam, before you start work, um, they they didn't have all that literature and technology that we have today. So they guessed, you know. And I mean, Burley's got some incredible lime avenues, which whenever I go there, I'm blown away by them. Um, but it's a big landscape, so you can get away with with those big trees, those clones of limes that are there. So I think, first of all, in a in an average garden, you probably haven't got much space. So you're looking for a small, 
uh, I almost call them pioneer species. So your birches, um, your um, your fruit trees like your your malus, you know the rosaceae, um, the sorbus, the rowans. They're all trees that uh, will usually fit into a small garden. So I think it's working out ultimately what size of space you've got, and then looking for a tree that will fit into that space. Not when you buy it, the size you buy it, but thinking 10, 20 years ahead, what, what's it going to be? And most websites, um, like, you know, most websites and most books give that ultimate height. Um, so you should be able to choose a tree that will fit that. And then, yeah, look at the soils. Are you alkaline? Are you acid? Um, and, and, you can, and you can gradually work your way through. And most garden centers, and let's, what we should be doing, Adam, is is um, is supporting our nursery trade industry, and wherever possible, buying um, support, you know, buying from British nurseries, British grown trees, uh, and helping them and supporting them, and and that will improve our biosecurity um, and and prevent movement of of pests and diseases. And then and and there will always be someone in those nurseries that will give you that final piece of advice on on space, etc. And then I think the most important thing is uh, is that aftercare, which we all often forget. Um, but they're, uh, they need our help once they're planted. So they need nurturing, they need watering, uh, mulching, maybe that first uh, part of formative pruning um, to determine where you want those lower branches, et cetera, and, uh, and, and growing a healthy tree. And the healthier that tree is, the more chance it has of being successful and less chance of it uh, catching some um, exotic pest or disease. Yeah, I mean, I can remember, you know, you talk about eating a plant and I can remember walking around QU and this was way back when and you telling me that you were doing research and actually not even planting the trees and you were you were piling soil up to them and them rooting down into the ground and, you know, the whole square hole thing rather than round holes and, and you know, and we plant trees too deep by now, you know, for some reason they come home, they're happy in the nursery in their pot, and then we get them home and we feel we've got to bury all that, you know. And actually, no, in reality, we don't. So it it is take your time choosing it, you know. Think think British. Um, we know now, don't we? You know, our laws have changed a lot. You know, you can check passports as to where things have come if they've come from abroad. Um, all the best nurseries, from what I understand, even if they're bringing stuff in, they're keeping it on their nurseries for a good growing season, if not 12 months. So DEFRA can come out and have a look. So it's it's making sure that you, I suppose you're responsible in the way you buy. Then take your time when you're planting, you know, and, and go back to the Jeff Hamilton thing, you know, understand your soil. Um, I think for me, the other thing with that, mate, with with you, with, you know, the, the, the garden planting and the smaller stuff, Interesting thing. So as a designer, I was taught less is more. So I was taught, you know, monocultures, drifts of this and that. And actually, in reality now in the garden, why I talk about shape and form um, a lot more is because I'm trying to add a massive, a bigger diversity of trees, even in a smaller space. But so I'm looking at maybe to repeat shapes of a tree or, affect light maybe in in the same way in a different position you know so it's been an interesting journey for a designer as well yeah and i you know i like i like to plant trees in groups um you know i, I i'm happy to plant an individual tree but you know we've got to remember where trees come from uh, and naturally trees grow in woodlands uh, and forests and then we take them out of those situations and and plonk them in the middle of a lawn uh, or in the middle of a car park, and uh, and we expect them to to grow well, but from day one they're stressed. But if we plant two or three trees together, use, usually odd numbers, three or five, um, then they'll support each other. And there's a lot of networking going underground. You know, you've heard of the wood wide web. Uh, it, it is there, and it does and it does work. And uh, and trees will look after each other. Uh, just like we do yeah. as people. But we've got, to, you know, if you've got a small space, though, you've got to find that balance that if we plant too much of one species and all of a sudden X problem rocks up, you've lost those trees. And I think that's the bit that I'm, in my head, playing with that mix of, of design, beauty, you know, community, 
um, but also against the threat and the problem that's coming forward and and how I suppose I I make people's gardens well I try and future proof them I suppose mm. well it's about building a resilient landscape a, a resilient garden and diversity is the key and uh, and the more diversity in a in a landscape in a garden uh, then the stronger it's going to be for the future and i'm sure Geraint's as he, come is off he is Google he off now yeah. well, no, I've, got, I've got a problem ready. they told me to turn the phone off before this started so i can't yeah, but, so really we all know that actually Aton, we know he can't turn his phone off because of actually who employs him you know you can't just go oh my phone is off i was on a podcast oh, oh yes sir no problem bless you well now you've had time Geraint, to have a look at google make make a few notes oh, yeah. um, thanks for thanks for putting me second i was really sweating for a minute looking looking at our wider landscape so again you know you get bits of information about um, we talked about monocultures there you know you're looking at woodlands and you're looking at woodlands everything from i don't know locking down carbon providing habitat um all the other things you know calling our climate but also you know some of those woodlands need to 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 at least break even turn a profit whatever it is you know it's still there's industry going on as well with with forestry and i suppose you know, there's a lot of talk, even when you talk to, to people, you know, native, 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 and that's all they want to do. But actually, in reality, we also live in an ever-changing world that, and you, we've talked about this before, that actually, you know, we've got to look outside of that. So, yeah, all right, yeah, not poo-poo all the natives, but actually, how do we move our woodlands forward as well? And somewhere in there, there's a question that hopefully you've made some notes on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean i think actually something we're all involved in is the queen stream canopy at the moment a lot of tree planting going on for that and uh you know just take this opportunity to thank everyone who has planted a tree for the for the jubilee but the strap line of the queen stream canopy is plan um plant and protect and you know a lot of planning is needed and, and we don't spend enough time planning sometimes you know thinking about the space we're trying to plant in thinking about the soil the weather conditions but also the climate predictions. I mean, we're planting trees that need to be able to grow in 2022 conditions, but are also going to be able to grow in 2072 conditions. And when you look at the climate maps that we've been looking at in the conference we're at, they're quite terrifying, the heat maps of the UK and what's going to change. So you've got to plan. And then all the planting, we've talked about that, but following good practice and, you know, yes, planting depth is one of them, but I think mulching is going to be so important where you can in gardens going forward, given the dry springs we're in. And then, you know, and, and, and the protection afterwards i think just going back to what you said i totally accept about the small trees for small gardens but i also make a plea for big trees where you can put big trees in oh, we yeah. do need more yeah. big trees going in our our big majestic oaks and hornbeams and sycamores etc to because they do offer wonderful benefits but i think mean, i think mean diversity is, is is the key and we we're not going to turn our backs on our native trees we've already talked about how important oak is birch you know I, I haven't given up on ash i hope ash will you know will, will, will overcome this disease and one day be back on the landscape so don't abandon we've got those lovely naturalized species species that have been here for a long time and perform well sweet chestnut sycamore you know both do very well we've got some proven what we might call non-natives perhaps some of the conifers we think about douglas fir mm. um you know uh, wonderful trees we want to keep growing them but then there's a lot of species that we've learned from the arboretums and other trials that maybe we should be looking a bit closer at and you and i have chatted didn't we you know tulip tree liriodendrons yeah. um carrier hickory species black walnut. jack black walnut yeah. um you know some really interesting ones and and other conifers we've been talking about some of the um some of the other pines and and some of the other the other spruces that we can firs that we could be planting but but i think that i think the key really is 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 diversity you know and 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 avoiding we're always in a danger in this country of excess we don't want extreme or the other and and i think we've got to avoid that and look at this this blend of species and that comes right down to you said about the garden i mean one thing you know adam we've we've planted a lot of um a lot of avenues i've been planting a lot of avenues through his royal highness and we love planting avenues but even avenues you know we're planting two three four five species in them sometimes just mm. to make sure we have that embedded well i you know resilience yeah. if you like so if something does come along and get one of those species well we're not going to lose everything yeah. and i suppose what's your take mate on you know planting trees with you know their their shelf life i have to say you know because I, I with me it's not now again just planting the garden but how long is it going to live looking at carbon lockdown and, and mm. things like that what's your take on that 
well again I, again to finish diversity you know we we need those we need some of those we need those short-lived pioneer species i mean we, you know birch and rowans are, are great are great trees and they have really important landscape ecological benefits and and you know and 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 some of them even produce good timber on things like birch is a wonderful timber and cherry and cherry absolutely yeah. mm. so um but you know, we also do need those those things that are going to mm. sequester and lock in that carbon for 100, 200. I mean, um, you know, like I just say the eight hundred year old oak tree. That oak tree has got is just eight hundred year old stored carbon. And just looking around the the wonderful room we're in here, um, timber clad in every respect, mm. beautiful wood. That's this is whenever it was made. This is all this is all locked carbon. So, you know, actually, um, actually, you know, growing trees for timber. Uh, as part of a sustainable forest management plan is 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 something we're going to need more and more and more of in if we're going to sort of tackle climate change and mm. you know um reduce our dependence on some of the other materials that are, are pretty costly from a, an environmental perspective and let's face it Geraint, the the british isles was built on trees one of the biggest export commodities from the british isles um whiskey scotch whiskey can't be called whiskey unless it's been matured in an oak barrel for a minimum of three years and obviously the best that one you had last night at 60 years old <laughs> was, um so so again you know it's it's not just sequestering carbon it's everything <clears throat> there's an end use to these trees yeah. as well in a in a uh, a good a good woodland a well i love the way you just you know whether it's time that's you going we yeah, yeah the weed to him is a bottle yeah Eh? Yeah. yeah. No, no, Basically, no, to be fair, I think no, if you've tone. given if you've given the British government a reason to make sure that actually our trees really need looking after, it's so that our whiskies don't disappear. <laughs> I, that's ultimately it. Isn't it? <laughs> if we put that on posters on airports, <clears throat> job done. I think that's it. Job, you know? job done. Uh, <clears throat> and you you're absolutely right, Adam. Uh, and, and not just about whiskey, but what we mustn't forget are the trees that we already have established and the woodlands that we already have established. So, you know, we talk a lot about planting trees, but actually one of the best things we can do is look after what we've already got because they're already banking carbon. They're already doing the job. And the trees that we plant today and tomorrow, you know, they're going to take at least 10 years to start catching up and, and start working. So, you know, let's preserve, let's really go out of our way and, and look after, get those parks back. Uh, I look. At, I look at trees. trees. I mean, we know what we pay for a tree, and you know, we we source from some wonderful nurseries. And uh, and the great thing is, there is now this plant health certification scheme that's been developed as part of the work we've all been involved in over the last mm. ten years. That's a really good outcome. There is now a, a sort of plant health management standard, and nurseries can get certified. And we don't keep buying trees from these nurseries. Wonderful trees, but we know what we you can pay for trees. And, I, and you know, I start looking at trees now and thinking, you know, a street tree. What's that? Yeah. What's that worth? And and it's so easy, you know, to to see these removed from the landscape, but mm. but when you think of all the benefits, you know, a, a, a 60, 70, 500 year old oak tree. I mean, what what value do you put on that in yeah. terms of carbon, biodiversity, landscape, the happiness but, it brings to people? Yeah. So um, you, we, you're right. We've got it's, to look after what we've got as well as. Do you know, you're right. Things. It's interesting. Yeah. You know, when you talk to people, you go into their gardens, and 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 you know, there is a lot of people that oh yeah, I don't like that. That needs to go. You know, whatever. When you're designing and creating. And the quickest way for me to stop people is to put value on it. Um, so I'll, I'll normally try and put financial value on it and say, well, if you, if if I took that tree out or if I wanted to take that tree to the Chelsea Flower Show, that would cost me X thousand pounds. People stop really quickly and you go, well, could we do something with it? Well, yeah, we could lift the canopy. We could thin it out. We could do this. We could grow something in it. We could do and, – and people think slightly differently. So I think, you know, that's point one what people can do at home. Look at what they've got. I think as well when you've got big trees around you, I try and design um, – you said about big – you know, people inherit big trees in their gardens. But when people are designing their own gardens to look at what's around them as well, sometimes you can build – you can borrow a big tree from next door – and, and add smaller trees in your garden and bring those big trees down, you know, and um, which is an interesting way of sort of community designing, if that makes sense, you know. So as a community, you will realise that that big tree's got to stay and how do you, you know, work with that. So that's been quite a bit of fun. But I think what else, you know, what give people, I suppose, just some key points. What What can people at home do, you know, 
outside of, you know, obviously the people that hopefully have listened to this, the first thing they need to do is they need to tell everybody they know about the importance, I suppose, of what we talked about. But but if you were going to say, right, you know, next time you're going to buy a tree, what do you need to do? Go on, Tom. Love it. Yeah. Go on, you try. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, you know, go to a, a, a good nursery, a good, a reputable nursery, local garden centre, um, and then look for uh, a healthy tree. You know, look for one that if if we're, I mean, the planting season's finished now, really. Uh, so, but it's about preparing for the next planting season and being ahead of the game uh, and being ready. So, look at the look at a tree. You can when you look at a tree, you can genuine generally. Uh, work out that it's been it's healthy that it's it's got good growth on it it's got good if it's in leaf then it's got a good canopy of leaves a good size uh and it and and they look clean so you're you know look look for any pests and diseases that are obvious uh and if it's clean then it, it's a good one to buy and and most nurseries are are good at that you know at, at supplying clean uh, clean stock I'm, I'm always tempted to have a look at the root system adam and I know, you know, we shouldn't sort of advocate this, but I, I tend to, if it's in a pot, just knock the pot off and have a look at that, uh, those roots and check that there's still compost between the roots and in the pot and that there's some healthy white roots there. If so you buy, shouldn't advocate that, but you've just announced it. I, have, and, and, yeah, to be, I have, so I am going yeah, to advocate. To be fair, Tom, yeah. I, I'm going to – so when you get crucified – I'll be stood next year and I'll back you because I, I have a tendency to Thank look you. round, make sure nobody's looking, yeah. and then I put my That's foot right. on top of the pot <laughs> and just tease out and just make sure that the roots are not going yeah. round and round and round. And, and right. like you said, look yeah. for those. I mean, so for people at home, looking for those fibrous, white, healthy roots, that's ultimately what exactly. you want, isn't it? Yeah. And, and let's face it, if you go out and buy a car, you have a look under the bonnet, you look at the engine. And uh, and the the engine of the tree is is that is that root system. But having said that, most of our nurses are, are good at, at supplying trees in in good condition, and uh, and and they they have money back guarantees as well. So if you got it home and you weren't happy with it, you can take it back and uh, and and replace it. Uh, so yeah, looking for a good good healthy tree. Um, you can tell that it's been watered, that it's it's not been checked, that the leaves have desiccated and, and dried out, and um, and and that that's probably the first the first place to start if I if I was buying a buying a tree. And I I love autumn planting. I, you know, I I used to promote spring planting. I was a real, um, pr- I, you know, I loved spring planting. But you know what? I think I heard the other day that seven out of the last 10 Aprils have been drought that, you know, we haven't had rain. This is another one. We haven't had rain in April. And, and if you're planting trees in spring now, you're going to have to water them because they're not going to get that, that spring rain. So if we plant in autumn uh, from the end of September through to Christmas, the soil's still warm. Most roots will, you know, get out of that root ball and, and penetrate the soil, and then by the spring, by the dry April, they're already part established and uh, and fending for themselves. So uh, now is, you know, with a queen's green canopy, I'm sure there's lots of people out there, Geraint, that are thinking about planting a tree this autumn, and and it's going to be a, a brilliant time to plant and uh, and do your homework now and get your preparation ready. And having done that, having done the planting, then you know. You've just made an investment. You've just you've yeah. just bought something and invested in it, you know. And you know, we said earlier, look after it. Yeah. You know, look after it. Plant it right. Water it if it needs watering. Get that mulch on it if it needs a stake. Put the stake on, but keep an eye on it. You know, keep an eye on it. Don't let it rub. All the things that you know can, can go wrong. You know, look after. It. You've just you've just spent money. You've just made an investment. Well, make that literally mm-hmm. that investment grow. Um, by 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 some sort of diligent diligent aftercare. It's a lot more than just sticking yeah, it in the ground. And you're right, mate. And actually, I read a bit of research this morning before I came on to you. To was actually a bit of research about actually physically. He was good. He was good. Physically, no, it was proper research. Yeah. It was on paper and everything. Um, <laughs> it's they're actually touching. So you, I don't know if you've heard this right, but touching certain plants can help them. Mm. There's been some research done. So I'm not winding you two up. I'm being serious. So t- touching certain plants, you know, once a week, twice a week, like stroking a cat type thing, can help the plant. I don't know. I'd, you know, yeah. I need to obviously go into it a little bit further. But I thought, wow, that's like, 
you know, that was something else as well. But that, just that idea of caring. I, I'm, with, I'm, I'm with you there, though, Adam. And I've not researched it. But when I, whenever I walk through the Arboretum at Kew or any garden, I, I just sort of, you know, the end of the branches, I just yeah. let them go through yeah. my hand. And, uh, A, I think it's good for my own well-being. But I'm, I'm also a believer that it's good for trees as well. They know you're there and they know you're thinking about them and looking after them. Just a few other things, I mate. Just, I mean, we're talking to a lot of gardeners about what they can do. We've talked about sourcing plants. We've talked about looking after what you've got. Because, you know, plants under stress are plants. It's the same with us. If we're under stress, we're more exposed to other 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 illnesses. You know what, you know what it's like when you run down. That's when you get the yeah. cold. So, so you know, we look after your plants, keep them healthy. That's going to make them hopefully more immune. But there are other things we can do, simple things that we probably don't do enough of, you know. So avoid the temptation that we all feel to bring stuff in when you go abroad. You know, we've all felt it, and there was a time when people did it, and yeah. but but now there's too many nasties up there to to bring yeah. into this changing climate. So so avoid that temptation, you know, and and and, and don't do that. But and also, also Geraint, if you, if you see a plant, say you're in Spain on holiday in the Mediterranean, you see a bougainvillea or something, you can buy them in this country now, you know, UK grown. So yeah. you know, don't be tempted to ring it back. No, find so a nursery that sells it. When don't you, risk when it. You is home. you know, and you'll see more and more notices, thankfully, going up at our yeah. airports and places. But the other thing is just sort of what I might call simple hygiene. You know, clean your tools, clean your boots. If you you know, um, yeah. when you move in between. When you move in between sites, you know, um, if you've been somewhere, you know, into a, you know, into someone else's, uh, someone else's garden on a lovely garden tour and you're going on to another garden, well, just, you know, just give everything to, give everything to rinse. If you finish pruning on one site and you're going somewhere else, well, clean your tools. Very simple things, but, but, you know, we, 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 we haven't done doing enough and we need to sort of develop mm. that culture of biosecurity. Yeah. And, and if you're pruning, uh, if, especially if you're printing things like uh, sorbus, which are prone to fire blight, um, clean your secateurs, as you say, you're after after you've been, you know, between trees. Otherwise, if potentially you're just going to be moving a, a disease from one tree to another. And and we don't do that enough. You're absolutely and it, right. Do you know what? There's a couple of things going like that. It's interesting. Tony, you talked about, you know, earlier on about things, you know, look at nature, look to nature. You know, if it grows in nature, how it works in nature. So when you're out on your walks and, you know, you're looking at the trees and the landscape, which is, I suppose, what a lot of designers do, you know, how they're growing, where they're happy growing, you know, check the direction of the wind. Is it exposed? Is it sheltered? So you can start to build that understanding. But then, Garen, I like that idea that, you know, thinking about plants, and I do, I think we all do it naturally, thinking about plants more as human beings and, and just looking at, you know, ultimately health, well-being, you know, how do we play our part in that? You know, being clean, being tidy. You know, we wouldn't start, you know, putting ourselves under risk by using, I don't know, sewing our arm up with a with a, a rusty old needle, would we? we you know, we and then I suppose that's the same scenario, isn't it? So you do that as human beings. And the idea of, of don't bring stuff from abroad, you know, and, and, and if the nurseries are bringing it in, then then you need to know the passport numbers or know that there is a passport, there's a trace back with that sort of thing. And I think that idea of seeing stuff, you know, I, I can remember seeing a, a Lagostromia um, in, a, in a hotel in Madeira, all right? Geraint might not know what a no, Lagostromia is. He, he, no, because no. he, he's, oh, he's into his, into his ales, isn't he? So he wouldn't know what a Lagostromia is. Bless him. Um, and I can remember seeing one, mate, and, and, and being blown away. But I didn't think um, that I could, I could plant one where I was. And I suppose this is another thing about how that environment has changed. Um, going back to, a, I don't know, a 21-year-old on, on the east side of the country, I wouldn't have planted a Lagostromia. Anyway, I got one, and it's happy as anything. You know, and it's even been flowering at the back end of the year. So, you know, there, there is also opportunity, isn't there, out of this for gardeners at home to push the envelope a little bit and, and grow things that maybe they couldn't have grown before. Yeah, absolutely, ab absolutely right. Be daring and and use those opportunities. Yeah, no, no, it, no, absolutely. But, but um, yeah, no, you can you can grow things. We we're talking about this earlier. Things that probably 30 40 years ago you wouldn't believe you were seeing being run yeah, in the uk right. with the with the climate yeah you know and now happening but also i think a point tony made yeah well is you know that we 
we sent and you've done some of this modern day plant collecting tony to collect all this stuff from around mm. the world in a in a safe by secure way and now i mean the wealth of stuff in our nurseries now yeah. is phenomenal you, you don't need to risk by bringing it back you, exactly. you will be able to buy it over here in a way that's been properly grown for the most part so 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 yeah. you know we we are so privileged with what we can get in this country and, and what we can so, when you when you go hunting and that do you wear like the full indiana jones kit uh do you not no i i mean i i uh you know have you not got that whip that you had i don't have a, i don't have the bull whip don't or you? the hat um but uh often you know i was in some pretty uh hostile countries you know i was i went i remember the probably uh the one that sticks with me the most was in 1994 i went to the um far east of russia uh to um vladivostok and across the sakhalin island and that was like two years after perestroika you know it was uh, uncomfortable but it was the plants that that you wanted to see it. very rich the Amur the Amur forest full of maples birches beautiful home of the Siberian tiger absolutely incredible and then into Siberia uh, the start of the Tega the boreal forest and um, it, it you know you, you sometimes think what am I doing here why am I here but actually it's because you love plants and you love trees uh, and, and um, it was all part of the job and, and getting them into the collections after the great storm in 1987, where we lost 700 trees at Kew and uh, 15 million trees in the southeast of England, and that was a real wake-up call uh, of, of why we, you know, why we need to um, be doing more for trees and, and our trees yeah. get. No, I tell you what, I think that's um, that little summary of of travelling the world and seeing trees in their natural environment, I suppose is a lovely way to sum up. But I said, I think hopefully for people at home, if they're still awake, like, um, that gives people some sort of idea why, you know, our national sort of plant health week is, is so important, isn't it? Absolutely. And, uh, and the more we can do to, um, improve the health of our trees and prevent, um, new, um, exotic pests and diseases coming in, the, the better for us all entries thanks for listening to the bbc gardeners world magazine podcast so if you've enjoyed this episode please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app and we'll see you next time